Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Okay, guys, uh, let's find our way back to our seats, and then we're going to begin the service with our reading for today. So our reading is um, the Lord's Prayer. Let's, uh, I'll read for us, and we can follow along. Um, this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Wonderful. Thanks, Robbie. I'll grab your mic from you. On this birthday Sunday, uh, I think it's important to center ourselves in something like the, the Lord's Prayer. This, this prayer that is, is ancient and beautiful, yet very real and relevant. When I was thinking about this upcoming Sunday, uh, I, I find that I'm a very different birthday person than, than even my, my sister. What, and I'm curious, what kind of birthday person are you? Uh, and we know what this question means. Like, is it a big deal? You don't bother? Is it a single day? Is it a full week? Is it insu insufficient to even have a week? It should be a birthday month. Everyone's got a different approach to their birthday. But regardless of the approach, I think that there is an inevitable moment of reflection. Whether someone has prompted it or it's happened in our own self-reflection. And this moment where we look back at what was, we think about what is, and perhaps we hope for what might be in the, the years to come. This being our, our fifth birthday invokes a, a similar reflection for myself. And in this season of prayer that we find ourselves in, this is week three for us in this Teach Us to Pray series, uh, we believe that this practice of prayer is not isolated to those who have their lives perfectly put together. In fact, it's an invitation to all people to come into relationship with one who desires communion with them, to come in relationship with the Father. To some degree, uh, when I prayed for this church that we now call family, that we're now calling home, I, I was a very unqualified individual in that practice of prayer. I, I can think back on it, and there was like this youthful ignorance to some of the prayers that were prayed. Uh, there was probably some insufficient communication of needs. I didn't really know what we needed. I didn't really have a full idea of what we wanted. And there was a cautious optimism that was in there. But in the midst of it all, I would say that I would articulate it differently today, yet I know this to be true, that God would hear me in the same way. Despite the fact that we pray prayers that can be lacking, or they don't follow the most effective model or words or fervor, the story that we lean into is one of God's faithfulness to listen. 
Time and time again, our church, we've, we've seen our community taken care of by means that are beyond strategy or grit. And I hope that has been the story for you as well in your own life. Perhaps you've had moments that you can reflect on and see God's fingerprints upon it. And then we pray again and we miss the mark. And yet God invites us all over again to pray. To pray just as you are, to pray just as you can, to pray with what you've got, to simply pray. These past three weeks, we've looked, or the past two weeks, we've looked at the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer, refrains in which Jesus models a healthy orientation of our lives and our hearts to pray in a way that looks up at the Father, that pursues intimacy, that surrenders our will. These are orientations of our life so that our prayer might go from the proper perspective. And then it's all centered around that singular statement on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go into the second half of this prayer that we find ourselves today. We move into three other petitions. And these petitions have a different focus. They have a different approach. They have a different feel to them. And perhaps they feel a little more familiar than the first three. Because I would say they're more along the lines of need. They're, they're requests of desire, of want, of need, and that is often our platform of prayer. That if I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray for something because I need something, because I'm in something, I'm experiencing something, therefore I need to pray. Even the most ardent of uh, opponents to the Christian faith fall into these moments where they're sitting at the bedside of someone that they love and they don't know what to do, so they simply pray. Even if it is to a deity that they don't even really believe exists, that practice, that impulse, that desire for prayer and that prayer of need rises up within our humanity. So the second half of the prayer feels far more familiar to me at least. And if, if the Lord's prayer, this, this portion of Matthew 6 that we're spending time in, is a model. It's not meant to be a rule book of how to pray. It's meant to be a model of, that we are invited to follow. If it is a model, then we can look at places like the Garden of Gethsemane. If you know the story, Jesus is about to make his way to the cross, and there is no polished nature to his prayers. In fact, he's just praying with deep need and desire and request before God, Flat on his face, on his knees, begging, God, if this is your will, I'll do it, but take this cup from me. There's an honesty to it. There, there is an intimacy and relationship that exists, but it does not circumvent or disqualify honest, heartfelt prayer. And the reality is giving our heartfelt prayers to the Father requires boldness. Bold prayers are prayed out of the Lord's Prayer. Frederick Beekner, he says this. He says, we do well not to pray the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. Give us, forgive us, don't test us, deliver us. If it takes guts to face the omnipotence that is God's, it takes perhaps no less to face the impotence that is ours. Within this prayer, there is a shift from holiness to human need. 
And there's an urgency within the language. I hope you can hear it when it was being read. These, these imperatives like give, forgive, deliver. And they're not casual so they can just be cast into the wind. These are strong words indicating how Jesus believes that we can trust the one in whom we pray. The imperative nature of the language in many ways even simply communicates that God wants our authentic selves in prayer. God does not want you to simply say the right thing. God wants you to give everything to him in prayer. The good, the bad, the ugly, the the stuff that we don't want to talk about, the stuff that we are talking about, the stuff that we are experiencing, the stuff that we don't even realize we're experiencing. He wants all of it. And not simply to hold it old over us, but to walk with us, to provide comfort within it. I, I love that this is the language in it. It's, it's almost like a parent who hears this from a child all the time. Uh, Mia is, is wonderful and she's learning how to talk. But man, she's demanding sometimes. She, she asks for something. She points at something. And she doesn't even really know what she wants. But she asks and she asks and she asks. And she knows that she can do so in the relationship that she has with her parents. There, there is no qualification to her request. And in some ways I read this prayer within the Lord's prayer. And I see these imperatives like a father and his children. And he's inviting. He's saying, ask. And I will deal with it in prayer. I will be with you in prayer. Philip Yancey says, Most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two themes. Why God doesn't act the way that I want God to. And why I don't act the way God wants me to. Prayer is the precise point where the two themes converge. All this to say, When we come to these honest prayers of petition, these prayers of need, we are wrestling with a big question. Do my prayers matter? Whether theology, experience, a general idea of God, or maybe just a fear of being disappointed, I would say that we've all faced a moment in our lives, within our prayer lives, where we have answered that question, I don't think so. And it has left us almost torn in two. And then we don't pray. And then prayer doesn't just go off the rails, it doesn't happen. And there's, there's so many reasons why we don't pray. We live in an extremely busy and distracted culture, but there are plenty of things that we can do on a day-to-day basis that we make time for, but we don't pray. Tyler Statton, out of a church in Portland called Bridgetown, he talks around Philippians chapter 4, and he makes this proposition that prayer is the antidote for anxiety. But he notes this, that for many of us, prayer doesn't release anxiety Instead, it reveals a different set of them. And this is confusing in many of the ways we experience our Christian walk. But there is a point in our prayer that we are not left less anxious, but perhaps more anxious, because it uncovers fears that we no longer ignore as we engage in conversation with God. It's what happens in real relationships. 
I'm not going to identify all the different fears, but I want to name a few of them. Uh, fear of being naive is one that exists within our, within our culture, especially within Vancouver, that we don't want to look the fool. We don't want to be silly. We don't want to be made to look out like we have got it wrong all along. And so we do everything we can within our prayer lives to pray simple Convenient prayers that are comfortable and that they don't put us in a space where I could be considered to be naive. But prayer is this proposition that puts me below, that surrenders my will, that is risky. And so real prayer is never really engaged in because of this fear. Maybe there's a fear of silence. We spent a, a moment of, of somewhat silence here this morning. And even that is uncomfortable, especially from a platform for myself. I'm like, that feels like eternity. That level of silence. And it's because we have this addiction to noise and to the cacophony of our mind, the decisions that are running through it. We fear the silence and so we don't engage in prayer. Sometimes it's, it's coming from a good place. We have a fear of selfish motives. Motives that we're holding and we're not sure, am I doing this for the right reason at the right time? And so I don't even pray for my friend because I don't know if I'm praying the right way or for the right reasons. And so then no, therefore no prayer happens at all, though we just think they do need to be prayed for. Fear runs the show. Fear of doing it wrong. Uh, I'm not following the exact model of the Lord's Prayer. There's more to it. Or fear of simply being right. What if I was right all along and prayer mattered and now I'm in this space that I haven't been praying and I should have been all along. We, we, we don't want to be wrong. These are all fears that we face each and every day in our prayer lives and I wanted to name these fears first because when we read the Lord's Prayer, I believe that we, we, what we are shown in the second half is we're shown some different ways in which we have constructed spiritual prisons in which we are co praying comfortable, convenient prayers meant to hold out disappointment, but it is in fact keeping God out. Praying prayers that we can accomplish prevents us from experiencing a God who wants to be with us. So there are three things within this passage that we will be looking at. Three things that Jesus believes we need to bring before the Father every single day. Bread, forgiveness, and deliverance, or the spiritual. And we can even think of it this way, that bread is like physical need. Forgiveness is relational and emotional need. And then deliverance is a spiritual need. That's my mistake in the back. I'm sorry. So if we look at the first one, give us this day our daily bread. Now this isn't an Olive Garden commercial appreciating unlimited breadsticks before the main meal. This is a call to that which actually is meant to sustain us. And so within this prayer itself, we can see that Jesus is doing something which he often does. He, he, he's provided layers to the statement, to the phrase. He's always alluding to something or some story from the Old Testament as well as giving us new insight or new ideas. In the Old Testament... There is a story that finds Israel in the wilderness. And they're in a constant state of depending on God. And in fact, so much so that they are being provided daily bread. This manna that they are being given in the desert. So 
Jesus is pointing, what Jesus is pointing us towards here is that after the people are liberated from their bondage, from their slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land, they're in this in-between space of freedom from bondage and the promised land full of goodness that was awaiting them. And that in-between space is in many ways where we find our own prayer lives. In many ways, we find ourselves stuck between being free from bondage and then looking towards this hopeful tomorrow that is full of God's goodness. But I'm here in the moment and man, I've got a lot of needs. There's this daily journey that I'm on where I hope for this promised future, but I need to live in this wilderness right now. And in this in-between space, in this wilderness, the invitation that Jesus is making to us in our prayer lives is that we might find ourselves in a space of dependence on God's generosity. That every provision, every good gift that we receive in this world is from God. And Jesus is really intentional here. Because if we prayed that first part with that posture of adoration, of intimacy, of discovery, of your kingdom come, your will be done then it is meant to come up against the ways in which we think we are the providers for ourselves. It is meant to reveal that when we say, give us this day our daily bread, it's confronting things like our addiction to consumerism, our our poverty mindsets, and our self-reliance. Poverty mindsets is saying, I don't ever have enough. So I've got to work harder in order to provide for myself. Our consumerism addiction makes us slaves to the things that we purchase or the things that we consume. And it, doesn't, and it eliminates gratitude and it elevates anxiety. And then in the space of self-reliance, we've bought into this lie that says that the dream of democracy is actually the kingdom of God. We've got it twisted. That the idea of work hard, show some grit, persevere, provide for you and your family, and you will have done it your way. You are a self-made person. This is the dream of democracy, and we have confused that to be the kingdom of God. And it's not bad to work hard. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that. But the narrative can be really deceiving because the story tells us then that everything you have is because you worked for it. That's the lie. It's subtle. But in many ways, it makes the the language of the Lord's Prayer completely meaningless when that's what's taking place in our hearts. Because I'm saying, give us this day our daily bread, when in reality, it's like, I've already got that bread. Don't worry about me. The mindset of Jesus has to be different. The mindset for the disciples of Jesus is transformed. Give us this day our daily bread. That is to say, in my request, I am submitting that you are the giver of all thy need. Now, there's some of us in the room that... uh, you don't know exactly what's taking place maybe for the next meal or rent is going to be a little tight this upcoming month and you're feeling that intensely. The reality is, especially in our Western culture, majority of us are not in that space. 
and for those even Jesus was speaking to, many would have been in that space, but many would have not been. The, the, the purpose of the statement was not to identify your current socioeconomic status. The purpose of the statement is that he wants all of his disciples, regardless of need, to cultivate, cultivate a mindset of a day laborer. One who views each day as a provision of gift and not to be taken for granted. That my very life is from the Father of lights, whom James says is the one who gives every good gift. And to pray this prayer for daily bread, it does something to you. In revealing that God cares about everything that I need and provides everything that I need, it begins to release the bonds that I have built around myself that make me the highest authority, my source of reliance, and a slave to the things that I consume. In fact, I think all three of these prayers are prayers of freedom. Give us this day our daily bread. I declare that I am free from self-reliance. I declare that I am free from consumerism. I declare that I am free from that which would hold my heart and make me think that I am my own source. Because freedom is the invitation that we're given each and every day. And we're invited to pray this daily. The prayer is less about the particular petition and more about the one to whom it is made. It reorients our day and our day-to-day -day relationships to the Father. And it also makes us more generous at a baseline. When I begin to believe that the source is not myself, I'm quicker to give it away. I'm quicker to be generous. I'm quicker to hold my hands open. And when I do so, I begin to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, live like Jesus. And this prayer begins to transform my very being from the inside out. So he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's an addressing of our physical needs. Then he takes us to forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's different language and different versions. But the prayer of re request continues. Because if we're being honest, many of our needs extend beyond our physical ones. We have deep relational needs. Who's got some relational issues? I know I certainly do. People that I have held unforgiveness towards my heart that make me so incredibly frustrated. And the reality of this prayer is it's not isolated to one area, but it's the physical needs in our daily bread and it's the relational needs within this conversation of forgiveness. Forgiveness sits at the heart of the gospel, sits at the heart of the way of Jesus. And even in this prayer, Jesus presents it. We've already talked about it a little bit in Matthew chapter 5. It shows up again in Matthew chapter 18 more comprehensively. But what I want you to see is that what Jesus is saying, that we need a daily rhythm in the midst of our broken relationships to declare that I am forgiven and I am called a disciple of Jesus to forgive. And just like prayer does something to us when we exercise it, unforgiveness does the same. Jesus sees how humanity is in this constant state of asserting its right to get even. So one wrong perpetuates another and so on and so on until we spiral out of control. And so Jesus interrupts the story, goes to the cross, and he declares that that spiral stop. He takes upon himself all of the consequences of human sin and brokenness, and he doesn't get even. 
he does the opposite. He invites those who are causing him harm to find wholeness with him. He says from the cross, Father, forgive them. Jesus does not ask us to do something that he has not already done. He leads the way. He blazes the path for us. That we forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, uh, forgiveness can be really complicated. It's, and the reality is, and even Jesus recognizes, that forgiveness is really hard. Let's recognize that forgiveness and reconciliation, they're not the same thing. Christian forgiveness does not simply brush wrongdoing under the rug and allow people to continue to hurt us. That is not the way of Jesus. Jesus' way of forgiveness is fully naming all that is wrong, drawing attention to that which is horrible, that which is evil, that which is hurtful, that which has been done. But when we name it and when we draw ourselves to that point, the invitation is that we then choose to release your right to get even. Reconciliation is different. Reconciliation is the requirement being two people, both humbling themselves within the relationship, admitting wrong for the purpose of relational health, for the relational healing to take place. And we know that's not always possible. But forgiveness just requires one person, and that's you. Forgiveness is us recognizing that we have been forgiven by a good God and releasing our right to get even. This is hard. We need to get to a place, even, even just very simply, that we can wish someone well. Within this prayer, Jesus talks about forgiveness and then immediately after he recognizes, yeah, Forgiveness is really hard, so I'm going to talk about it again. And he makes it even harder in some ways. He says, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will free all, so forgive you. The heavenly Father will forgive you. And if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly, heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That feels harsh. Did you not see what they did? I am in no place to be forgiving them. When you read this passage, let's pay close attention. He doesn't say if you struggle to forgive. And he doesn't say if it takes you time to forgive. He says if you refuse to forgive, what you're showing is that you have not actually internalized the grace and forgiveness that I have shown towards you. This is not a statement of God pulling away his grace. This is a statement of us rejecting it. That if I have not found space in my heart to offer forgiveness, I have not fully embraced the revelation of forgiveness that Jesus offers. This prayer is a prayer of freedom. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is the fruit of grace within us. Think of it this way. 
Jesus has established this pipeline of grace, and it's connected to you and me. And we don't have to do anything to build it. All we're actually invited to do is to turn towards it. It's this idea of repentance, to turn from one way to another. And when we turn towards it, we're overwhelmed by the grace that is shown to us. And then in that space, this pipeline becomes the way that we treat other people. We don't turn back and use our own ways. We turn and we use God's way, and we point that pipeline to another person. I know that you have harmed me, but this is the grace I have received. Let me show it to you. This is the grace I've received. Let me show it to you. And there's freedom in the midst of that. It's like a pay it forward line at Starbucks, right? Someone paid for your your coffee and then you've really felt like, man, that's an incredible gift. I want to do something like that for the next person. And it's more and more and next and next and it's and it's onward and onward and hopefully it actually does make you want to pay for the next person because that really did do something within you. Do you capture what I'm saying? Forgiveness is God's good work within us, extending through us so that we are not bound by the things that have happened to us. It's freedom from the pain of the past, from hate in our hearts, and from the possibility of evil in our future, from, from, from revenge taking place. And that leads us to the third idea. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I feel like any time this kind of language pops up, it can be really hard to, to digest, really hard to engage with. And when I've read this before, I've had this question pop into my mind. Does that mean that God plants little traps to see if I pass the test? Is that what it's talking about? That somehow uh, I'm begging God, hey, like I'm not in the mood for a test today. Like, please relax on that one. (laughs) But let's not apply our understanding to it. Let's see what Jesus says. And if we look at the moments of temptation in Jesus' life, there's one in the desert and there's one in the garden. One in the desert in which he's at his, his end and then he's offered temptation. And this temptation is to pull him away from the path that God was inviting him towards. In the garden, it was temptation to do the same thing, to pull him away from the path that God was inviting him towards. And the same is true for you and for me. When we are walking in the way of Jesus, when we are pursuing kingdom things, the reality is, is that it is going to be hard. If you are moving in opposition to the way of the world, you will face temptation. But look at what Jesus does. He steps in. He he continues on that journey. He says, I'm going to move towards the way that God wants to see the world reconciled and brought into relationship with him. And so Jesus continues on that way. And then he gets to a point in the garden. And he says, take this cup from me. It's almost as if he is saying this very prayer. He's saying, lead us not into temptation, but the second half really matters. But deliver us from evil. That is to say, when I'm in this journey of trying to see the world begin to reflect the kingdom of God, I will face opposition. But deliver me from evil on the other side of it. In his humanity, Jesus experienced the real challenge and pain that comes from walking down a path towards God. 
And in this prayer, it reflects a reality that Jesus experiences and that we will experience as well. But if I'm going to go through a test, if I'm going to go through this temptation that comes along this path, deliver me. Think of the lies that he was told in the wilderness in the garden. Trying to get him to question the father's goodness and graciousness. Surely if the father loved you, he wouldn't be trying to starve you out here. Surely if your father loved you, he would save you from this horrific death. This lie that gets petitioned in your own heart over and over again. I feel like I've heard it in my own story. These questions which put the very nature of God into doubt. And in this prayer, we're reminded that following Jesus is hard. That great tests and trials will come our way. But it's not a reminder. Those trials are not meant to be a sign that the Father has abandoned us. But they're actually signs that the Father is with us. Expect temptation. But when you experience it, know that you are walking on a path with God. And that he has not abandoned you, but is near to you. These three petitions. Worship team, you can join me at the front. These three petitions centered around this idea on earth as it is in heaven are declarations of freedom born out of our knowledge and intimacy and relationship of the Father. I want you to hear these thoughts and see how they're connected. You are my Father who is above all things, so I know you provide. I am free from a mindset of poverty from a reliance on things and a reliance on self. Your kingdom is breaking into the world, bringing forgiveness where it is undeserved, so I relinquish my, my right to revenge. I am free from the pain of my past, free from hate that wishes to hold my heart, free from the world's narrative of normal that wishes to form me into that image. Your will be done. So here on earth as it is in heaven, you are near to your people in the trials of life. So I step into the trials trusting that I will be delivered. I am free from fear, from meaninglessness, and from anxiety that would wish me to believe that I'm alone. In many ways, the Lord's Supper is a condensed summary of all that Jesus is about. And the model is great, but the generosity of God is that it's not a rule book, it's a playbook that we can follow along to draw into communion with God. The prayer encompasses the human experience and invites honesty, invites vulnerability, it invites your very being to be brought to the forefront. And I love the model of it, but here's the thing, there's only one rule to prayer. To keep showing up with your honest self. It's it. We have constructed reasons around ourselves why we should not pray. I've got it covered. I'm not ready to actually offer forgiveness. I, I feel like I'm in a season of temptation and I've just got to work it out on my own. 
Or we put on these masks and we say, I'm good. And we are not even honest with ourselves. Or we think, I don't have the right words to pray. I don't have the right attitude to pray. None of that matters to God. The only rule of prayer is keep showing up with your honest self. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't mask it over. Don't hide from the reality that you're facing. Bring your full petition to God. Because what is the second half of this prayer? It is body. It is mind. It is soul. All offered to a good God. And when we do so, there is a litany of questions that follow afterwards. But know this, that God is near to you. He just wants you to simply pray where you're at. For these next two weeks, especially these next 14 days, and then in these months to come, my, my challenge to you, would you make a commitment to simply pray where you're at? If that's you, if you feel like there, this is a season that you can pray an hour in the morning and an hour at night, do so. If you've got five minutes that you can give, do so. If it's one sentence that you can give, do so. Pray where you're at. If you don't feel joyful in your spirit and you feel like you are overwhelmed by grief, pray those prayers. If you feel like you are past the point of no return and you're just asking God to show up, pray those prayers. Pray where you're at. Because the only non-negotiable rule of prayer is to show up and to keep showing up with your honest self. This is a beautiful model for us to follow, but it is not meant to be a barrier to our relationship with God. It's meant to be an invitation that when you do follow this, watch your prayer life flourish, but start where you're at. Because that's more than enough for God to begin to speak and work in your heart and in your life. We have become so hesitant to offer our requests that we have eliminated prayer, the very tool that's been given to us to be in relationship with God. And he wants to be in relationship with you more than you could ever imagine. So bring who you are, where you're at, with what you've got. And just offer that. Make that your start this morning. If you can start there, I promise you, beauty will follow. I'm not even promising answer will follow. But the beauty of God is that He is near to us. And He will be near to you exactly where you're at. Bring your requests to God. He cares about your life. So this is what I want to invite us to do as a church. On this, our, our fifth birthday, and we're looking towards seven days of fasting. On your seats are these prayer request cards. I don't, I, want, I don't require you to write your name on them or anything, but I want you to write on there, and it can remain anonymous, a request. And I want every single person, if you can do that for us this morning, write down on there one request. Maybe it's someone that you're praying for, a family member. Maybe you're praying that you're, you're praying for a breakthrough in your household relationally. Maybe you're praying for a job or you're praying for provision. Remember, body, soul, mind, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's body, soul, and mind, all that we can bring to God. Name one if that's all you've got. If you've got more, put it on there. 
at the, at, at the exit, there is a bucket that we would love for you just to drop it in there. And then what we're going to be doing throughout our fast is we're just going to pray these together as a church. We're going to be standing shoulder to shoulder with those in this congregation. And we're going to declare that we have a good God who hears our prayers. And we're going to be offering that strength that maybe we don't feel on our own. So take a moment. Write down a, a petition. Hopefully there's enough pr uh, pens around. Note something down. If it's a prayer for someone, maybe it's a prayer for your season that you're in. Maybe you're just praying that you would find God. It doesn't have to be perfectly worded, beautifully put. It just has to be honest. There can be dramatic manifestations of the presence of God. And I think it's something we often long for in our prayer life. And God can do it. But prayer is more of a hammer than dynamite. If you've got a wall in front of you that, feel is, that you feel is blocking the way, prayer is like that hammer that begins to chip away. And maybe you don't see a ton of change initially. Maybe you don't see like there's a lot of good taking place, but I promise you, it's chipping away. It's breaking it down. And on the other side of it is the very thing that you've been hoping for all along, and that's God. Arms open, ready to meet you in the midst of your request. So if you have your cards, would you hold them with me? Whatever it is, the prayer request that you have, would you hold them? And we're just going to be declaring right now, Jesus, would you make us a people of prayer? People who come to you with our petitions and with our requests. Not to turn you into a genie that answers everything, but so that we can be unburdened. So that we can find freedom. So that we can find hope in the deepness of our relationship with you. And because we know you are good. You're a God who finds us in the midst of our struggle. And you meet us where we're at. So I pray that these honest prayers are heard this morning. That they are received by the loving arms of a good father. That you would give us boldness and courage to pray an honest prayer. And that you, oh God, would be the one who begins to do good things within us. To provide for our needs. To heal our relationships. To deliver us from evil. Thank you that you are not a God who abstains from the the mundane nature of life, but who's very much in the midst of it. For all the things that we believe are not worth your attention, I pray for those specifically. Something that is aching within our hearts that we just feel like is not worth worrying about. For relationships that we have given up on, pray for that relationship for a feeling of hate that has lingered in our hearts that seems to have a hold every time we see a photo or we see a text or we see a see a, a, a word from someone it rises within us and we just pray against that right now that there would be healing from that we pray that we'd be a people of freedom and these requests would be that first hammer that first hit against the wall that holds us imprisoned within our hearts so that we can welcome you in. 
These are bold prayers that we need, oh God. So fill us with your boldness. Not by our own will, not by our own works, but by you and you alone. May we find freedom this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.